I, I have a rather strange desire to listen to the stories of these actors, these movie stars. Now, I, and please don't think any less of me for that. Okay? <laughs> I, um, I am not interested in any particular celebrity, but just celebrities in general. Uh, I'm not captivated by a sense of delight when I see their lives or watch their interviews. Uh, I don't care for Hollywood gossip. I'm not a movie buff. and In fact, most of movies have ratings that we don't watch, and so I, I can't discuss them with you. But I do find that these drama stars are, are rather interesting, sometimes very interesting. Uh, I like to see what fame does to them. Uh, uh, take, for example, a quirky young guy with a sitcom of a quirky young guy who becomes famous and has the audacity to stand up in front of a, a world audience and slap another celebrity across the face. Uh, that's what fame will do to you. I do like to hear of what their millions of dollars does to them. I enjoy watching them recreate themselves every so many years with, with such determination. Uh, like the determination of a farmer sowing his seeds into the ground, knowing that this is going to get him through the rest of the year and it's going to help feed a nation. So these actors recreate themselves every so often. I particularly get a kick from watching how serious actors take themselves. Uh, my wife laughs at me uh, when I mention my encounters with, with actors. Uh, for example, not too long ago, uh, we ran into Woody Allen while strolling, uh, strolling across Central Park. and uh, He wasn't looking too good. Um, my wife rolls her eyes when I tell the story of how I, I met Sophia Loren when she was making a movie with O.J. Simpson just down the road from where I lived. Or when I mentioned that my brother used to ride around with a boss in his pink Cadillac. Or how more recently, not too many years ago, uh, we decided to make a U-turn right outside of Willowbrook Mall. And there was a well-lit parking lot. And so I took our big envoy and we made this huge U-turn. And it was obvious that they were filming something there. And, but it didn't stop me. I kept, you know, making my U-turn. After all, I had to go in the opposite direction. And, and at the end of my U-turn, there's a man standing there. And I said to him very foolishly, so are you filming something here? And he said, yes. I said, well, what are you filming? He said, The Sopranos. I said, oh, are you in it? And he says, yes. And very angrily, ends up it was James Gandolfini, the main actor. And I must say, I've mentioned many a times that I've shared the gospel with Kelly Preston several times when she was sick in a hospital. And unfortunately, she opted for Scientology instead when she was a young girl. And as a result of my intrigue, I, I enjoy watching interviews with these actors. Uh, they talk about their craft with so much intensity. Uh, they analyze their characters in, in, in their movies as if it really mattered. And they tell us, the viewers, of how important their particular role is. 
They tell us that this movie is going to be a commentary on the American perspectives. Or, or how that role that they're performing in is going to shape future generations. And sometimes it does. Or how it reveals the psyche of most men. Or how that movie is going to redefine who we are and which way we're headed. And what I find amazing is that these actors are able to, without any shame and without any hesitation whatsoever, they are able to dismiss any moral standard that exists. Amazing. They easily cross into new boundaries with the help of cinematography and special effects, impressing on our minds images and concepts that will linger and will not soon be forgotten. And they convey to us the idea that if you don't like it, all you have to do is change the channel or walk out of the theater. But very few people ever do. I think it's obvious that they intend to, to and they expect as well, uh, that they are going to produce some sort of change in this world. It's not just an agent by which they're going to make money, in some cases a lot of money, but they intend to, through these movies, these uh, shows, uh, these pieces of art, they intend to change the world as we know it. And they certainly want to make people think, and they expect to send a message that is going to impact the conscience of the viewers. Uh, they are looking to mold society through their movies. They are looking to determine a value system through their movies uh, and to set usually new standards. And by the way, usually those, those standards do not go up, they go down, if you haven't noticed. I, I mention all this because at the end of the day, all they are are actors. Nothing wrong with being an actor, but an actor is only an actor. They are pretenders. They make believe for a living. And some of them are extremely highly paid make believers. They are nearly deified storytellers in our culture. Now, on the other hand, the church is given preachers. Preachers that are often then dubbed pastors. Now, preachers are these individuals who are transformed by the gospel of grace. I trust you are as well. Preachers are those men called by God, equipped by God, and they are given words of life which they are to communicate. In fact, by virtue of the Holy Spirit in them, they are empowered to teach the word of God. That's the preacher, the Bible teacher. And the preacher does so in order to produce change. The preacher is looking to make people think. Uh, the preacher is sending a message that will hopefully, prayerfully, stay in your conscience. Not just for the day, not just for the week, but for the rest of your life. My friends, that's what I'm doing right now. The preacher is expected to, to, to mold society. Big church, small church. The preacher is expected to mold society by, first of all, exposing the value system that exists in society and then contrast it with the value system that is in the word of God. 
and, and in doing so, our job, the preacher's job, is to lay down the standard of God. And when the standard of God is being laid down, the building up of the church happens. God's people are fed when God's word is spoken. So that the gates of hell will not prevail, not only against the 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 church, but rather the church will prevail against the gates of hell in the world, but in your life as well. My, my job is to feed you God's word so that God's word will push against the gates of hell that try to make inways into your life. And the preacher is supposed to be leading the charge. So weekly, around the world, at this very hour, Preachers are entrusted with the solemn duty of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's another group involved here as I'm speaking, and it is the congregation, the people of God. I think you know that it is a universal practice for an audience to listen to somebody else, right? Nobody needs to teach a group of people to sit down and listen, whether it's a, um, a person who's an expert on a particular topic, lecturing, or maybe a storyteller, people sit and listen, or maybe somebody who is going to interpret a piece of music, what do we do? We sit and listen. It's universal. It could be an orator at a, uh, 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 speaking on a preferred topic. It could be done in a classroom at Oxford, or it could be done in a clearing in the Amazon jungle, or in a church pew. People sit, person speaks, person feeds, people are nourished. One speaks, others listen, they learn, and they grow. So that Alistair Begg says that preaching is a culturally neutral experience. Culturally neutral. We understand what it means to listen to somebody who has authority on a particular topic. And so here we come to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 10. And look at what it says there at that verse. I'll just read one sentence to you from the verse because that one sentence says what I want you to take home this morning. <clears throat> Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn. Gather God's people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn. God's people learn when they gather together and hear the word of God. And as we, we see here, this is something God lets us do. This is a privilege. It's not a thorn on your side. It's not another thing to check off on your list. It, it, it is not simply a duty. It is a privilege to be under the word of God together. And yet, my friends, how often is the process of preaching questioned? We've been taking a look at what the church is and what the church is about. How the church is to be a light on a hill. What I want you to see this morning is the importance of preaching and the church. Preaching and the people of God. And in Deuteronomy 4.10, we are called to gather together 
God's people gather together and hear the word of God. And yet preaching is so often questioned. How often do we question the efficacious power of God's proclaimed word? As a pastor at the very end of his life, scholar, theologian, lecturer, R.C. Sproul Sr. became a pastor. And in his own words, the reason why he took so long to become a pastor was at the very end of his life. He said, it is because I am too thin-skinned. I cannot take the criticism. It took him an entire life to develop thick enough skin to become a pastor, he said. And the man could preach. The man could teach. That man knew the word of God. He's now with the Lord maybe three years. But every time R.C. Sproul made it up to his pulpit, and he had a grand, huge pulpit. It's still there down in Florida. Beautiful cathedral. Up high, he would climb those stairs. And you know what he would say to himself as he climbed those stairs? He would mumble these words to himself. This is how God changes lives. This is how God changes lives. This is how God changes lives. He had to remind himself, because it seems ridiculous, that this is how God would change lives. That he would speak and we would listen and learn. That a preacher would preach and we would consume the word of God. And yet this is exactly what God has deemed. This is how God has designed us. This is what God has chosen would be the means by which, by which we would grow in grace. Now, I say all this because if an actor can place so much credence in a movie, shouldn't we all the more Trust in the preached word of God. Emphasis on preached word of God. And shouldn't we allow God's preached word to have a greater effect in us? If we can so readily expose ourselves to what is on the screen and consume that so willingly... Shouldn't we be even more willing to consume what is being proclaimed from the word of God and allow God's word to make a difference in our souls, in the way we think, in how we live, in the choices we make? My friends, if an actor can place so much trust in the script and special effects, Shouldn't we all the more place our trust in the effects of the Holy Spirit? Shouldn't we trust the Holy Spirit more so to work through the means of God's proclaimed word? And yet we give so little credence to preaching. I feel for those churches that trust special effects in order to gather people into his house. Churches that depend on special effects instead of the potency of the proclaimed word to draw people to Christ. 
My friends, if the word of God is not suffice to entice you to Jesus, then just stay away because those special effects will just delude, delude you. It will not carry you to Christ. Look at what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 20. Turn in your New Testament to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. Beginning of verse 20, Joe will read to us. Let's begin. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Thank you, Jim. That is the method of God to preach. Now the word there, preach, that you saw, that you see in that portion that was just read to us, in the original language, in the Greek, it means just that. Uh, to preach means that a herald would proclaim something. It's referring to the p- public crier going into the midst of where the people are and proclaiming something. It's a proclamation by a herald. And that's what we're doing this morning. That's what we do from week to week. And of course, it does not have to be proclaimed from behind a pulpit. There are various ways in which you can proclaim the scriptures. But listen, any evangel proclamation has to be soaked in the gospel of Christ. Any preaching of the word of God needs to understand that the priority and the goal is the gospel of Christ. That needs to be the priority and the goal of the preacher, but as well of the church, the listening congregation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we see it in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 10, that the people of God gathered together to hear from God. My friends, here is the greatest difficulty of preaching. I've been preaching now, at least as a pastor, for about 30 years, maybe a little more. Just over 30 years. There's a particular difficult aspect of proclaiming the gospel. But before I, I, I mention that difficulty, let me, let me say this. Pastors are often viewed as men who are spiritually mature. Uh, who have a calling from God. Uh, in fact, as many of you know, I sit on a credentialing council. My Part of my job is to uh, examine pastors, young and old, to see whether or not they are fit to be a pastor. And, and I do this locally, and I do this nationally uh, with the Evangelical Free Church uh, of America. 
And I find that at times there are those who are not. They're very knowledgeable scripturally, but they are not spiritually mature. Uh, the, the, the Christian character is not there. And sometimes the Christian character is there, but the calling is not. Uh, God does not call them into ministry, though they have a desire for ministry. And so we examine their creed, what they believe. We examine their character, who they are. And we examine their calling, what God wants of them to decide whether or not this person should be ordained into ministry. And of course, spiritual maturity would be not only an asset, but a requirement. And when the pastor comes to the pulpit to preach, he does so with confidence. He does so with spiritual authority. Or or at least he should. It's understood that each pastor who is entrusted with the church is to be of the caliber of the Apostle Paul when Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. Every pastor needs to be able to say that, otherwise he needs to step aside. Follow me as I follow the example of Christ. But pastors, as you well know, if you know me, are very much human. And the challenges that you face are the same challenges I face. And yet pastors often have this significant advantage of greater spiritual maturity because of his job. I am continuously in the word of God. One of my chief goals for every day, one of my chief responsibilities daily is to pray And my friends, it is a benefit that I possess that you don't. Or at least you think you don't. And the things that I am learning should be deeply impacting me before I start espousing them to you. The truths that I am gleaning as I study the word of God needs to be molding me, any pastor, changing me, growing me, And what an advantage I have as a man who is called to become, to be a pastor. However, my friends, as any good pastor would agree, what God has blessed me with, a good pastor desires for you. The same way God has blessed me with spiritual growth, with spiritual challenges, with spiritual maturity, I, as your pastor, desire this for you. It is not something just for me because I stand behind this wooden frame. It is designed and available to you as well. As I lead you in the understanding and worship of God, I want you to be able to have the same advantages that I am blessed with. What a wonderful advantage it would be for all of us Christians. I do not want to be alone at it at all. Every pastor desires that you would have the same privilege of knowing God even as I have been blessed with such a relationship. I would like to see you grow spiritually, not just incrementally, as some of you are accustomed to, but to see you grow spiritually in leaps and bounds.
No more of this little slow stuff, I'll get there when I get there. But to be able to say, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of His glory, and I want to grow in my Savior's knowledge, in my relationship to my God, I want to know the beauty of Christ in me and around me. Now, what's the hardest part of preaching the gospel? The hardest part of preaching the gospel is not trying to make the Bible relevant. The Bible is relevant. Um, The hardest part of preaching the gospel is not finding something to preach about from week to week. That's very easy to do. The question is, what don't I say? There's too much to say. Uh, It's not a matter of creativity or, 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 or wondering what will I preach next year. The challenge of preaching the gospel is not any pushback from the world or from anyone else. The challenge of preaching the gospel is not fear of man. Here is the greatest difficulty of preaching the gospel. The greatest difficulty is the lack of listening ears. The number of accumulated souls that have become apathetic to the message of the gospel. The number of people who are more concerned about this afternoon than they are about the word of God that's being proclaimed right now. The number of people who would rather nibble at the gospel than to digest it fully. That's what makes preaching difficult. The rest, in all honesty, is easy. My friends, it is through prayer and through the proclaimed word of God that the church of Jesus Christ will grow and to press against the gates of hell around you and in you. So when it comes to preaching God's word, we should be excited about preaching. Look at what Isaiah writes in chapter 52, verse 7. Old Testament book of Isaiah 52 And verse 7, we should be excited about the preaching of the word of God. And as I'm saying this and you're looking for Isaiah 52, let me ask you this. Are you excited about the preaching of the word of God? If you're brave, nod your head yes or no. Does it excite you? I'm not asking whether or not you're excited about the preacher. Are you excited about the preaching of the word of God? Look at what Isaiah 52, 7 reads. How beautiful are the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Israel, your God reigns. Of course, this passage is quoted again in Romans chapter 10 about bringing the gospel to people who have yet to hear. My friends, good preaching does not simply talk about Christ. Good preaching offers Christ, as Colin Smith puts it. It offers Christ. It explains all that Christ is. It explains all that Christ has done for you and how He can be part of your hourly consciousness from day to day. Good preaching molds your heart. And for that reason, Christ is good news. 
The good news of the gospel is not a list of things you need to do or ought to do or things you need to be. No. The good news of the gospel is the offer of Jesus Christ in all that he is and all that he has done for you and for us together. Preaching is a means by which you meet with God. Now, normally we think Christian music is a means by which we meet with God, or Christian concerts are a means by which we meet with God. The scriptures say otherwise. Preaching is the means by which we meet with God. And the aim of it is that you would become more like Christ and love Christ more and more. Uh, Notice that the apostles understood the importance of preaching. They certainly did. Uh, Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning of verse 23. Peter's first letter in your New Testament, chapter 1, verse 23. You see there there that the apostles did understand the importance of preaching. 1 Peter 1 verse 23 reads this way. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Look at verse 25. The word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Preaching is preaching only when the Bible is explained to you. What makes preaching essential is that it explains God's word to your life. How to take the truth of God and apply it to your life and then watch the transforming power of it. Uh, Recall what Peter said when Jesus Christ asked him in in John chapter 6, How about you, plural, you and the other disciples? How about you? uh, Do you want to leave as well? Do you remember Peter's confession there? Peter said, verse 68, John 6, 68. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? Nobody else has words of eternal life. Only you do. So we do not want to leave. We want more of you. The apostles understood the importance of the proclaimed word. They digested it. They lived on it. Words of eternal life. And the importance of preaching rests in the life-giving potency of God's truth. The apostles knew it. And that's why they also preached. They didn't provide concerts. Concerts are great. I love concerts. But you notice you don't see any evangelistic concerts in the New Testament. What you see is preaching. They didn't even offer homilies. And homilies are just very short sermons. I don't think I've ever delivered a homily. (laughs) Nothing wrong with homilies. But that's not what you see in the scriptures. They witnessed the power of God when they preached the word of God. The word of God is powerful and able to accomplish what God intends to accomplish. Therefore, my friends, nothing will ever stop the invasion of God's word into the kingdom of darkness. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 with me. Paul's second letter to Timothy, chapter 2. 
There we see the invasion of God's word into this darkened world. 2 Timothy 2 verses 9 and 10. Paul at this point is incarcerated. This is the last letter he's going to write before he's executed. Look at what he says. Chapter 2 verse 9. For which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. He was cuffed like a criminal. But God's word is not chained, he writes. Verse 10, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is Christ Jesus with eternal glory. My friends, notice here that it is impossible to stymie the plan of God. The more you restrain God's word, the more potent it becomes in this world. Look at what's happening in China. You, you, you want to stop Christianity from growing? Well, all you have to do is make it free and allow everybody to do it. And so suddenly we become apathetic. I remember some years ago when, when Russia became a, a free state. I was talking to a Russian pastor who lived close by. And I said, isn't this great? You now have freedom of religion, freedom of Christian faith in Russia. And he said, oh, brother, it's the worst thing ever. I was stunned. I said, how can that be? He goes, now that it's free, people are going to grow apathetic. Isn't that a shame? Church in Russia was stronger in terms of people of faith when it was restricted. When the church was restricted. Likewise in China. We just heard a stat this morning that said within the next 10 years there's going to be more believers, true believers in China than there are in America. You cannot worship Christ freely in China. And yet they continue to grow. Churches are being burned in China. Pastors are being incarcerated. People are meeting in huddled apartments and in the woods and in dark basements because you cannot worship freely there. And yet it grows. But my friends, God will have his way. The church will continue to grow. Why? Because people crave truth. Here we read in verse 9 that God's word is not chained. The greatest threat to the gospel is not volatile dictators. It is not contrarian philosophies. It's not liberal laws that say that there is no moral standard. The greatest threat to the gospel is professing Christians who do not hunger for the word of God. Don't join those ranks. Guard yourself against that. And even then, even then, the word of God is not chained. Christ himself said in Luke 19, he says, I tell you, if these were silent, if these people were silent, the very stones would cry out. God will have his way. God will be worshipped in his creation. So in closing, uh, notice how people responded to Christ's preaching. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 27. One last verse this morning. Mark chapter 1, verse 27. Look at how we read there in the second gospel. Chapter 1, verse 27. 
Jesus Christ's teaching. And we read, And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? They listened intently to the words of Jesus Christ. They were amazed at his teaching. Sometimes, well, maybe often, too much of a good thing can make us lose our appreciation for it. Would you agree? And I do think that we as American Christians have had the privilege of good preaching for a long, long time. And we have lost our appreciation for it. After all, we could catch a good preacher online anytime. A better preacher online anytime. And we seldom do. But we can. You you see, we, we have lost our taste for the preaching of the word of God. And we can so easily do this again and again. And again, I say, we need to guard ourselves against it. Note that when Jesus Christ Christ preached, the people were amazed. Now granted, he was the greatest communicator. Now granted, he he spoke with wisdom and knowledge and authority. And granted, he is God. But nonetheless, the people were amazed at his teaching. Keep this in mind. That whenever God's word is being proclaimed... God is speaking to us again and again. Whenever I stand here and speak to Hope Church, God is speaking. Not because I am God or even godly, but because it is the word of God that is being spoken. God is speaking again and again. For you, for your soul for you to consume, for you to be nurtured by it, for you to be transformed radically by it. Let the word of God have its effect in your life. Stop nibbling at it. And we should be amazed again and again by the words of God. So let let me give you very quickly how to listen to God's preached word. With this understanding that as you're listening to God's preached word, you're checking in your scriptures to make sure that what the preacher is saying is actually in the text. That what the preacher, what I am saying, or whoever stands here is saying is actually in a Bible. It begins there. But after that, here's number one. Listen weekly while you are there with God's people. Listen weekly while you are there with God's people. That's number one. How to listen to God's word. Number two, expect God to speak to your heart. You know, sometimes we come and leave empty because we were not expecting to hear God speak to us. And so we didn't. Expect God to speak to your heart. And listen for what he says. Here's number three. Listen with the understanding that God knows better than you. If God's word said it, understand this. It is true. It is wise. It is good. And understand God's word to be just that. He knows better than all of us put together. And so you can trust his word. 
don't walk away and wonder, well, I wonder if God was right on that one. I sometimes wonder if, you know, I think Jesus has got it backwards. And no, 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 no. Don't listen to that voice. Listen to the voice of the word of God. Let his voice speak truth to you. And finally, number four, be quick to apply those spiritual lessons to your life. Whatever spiritual lessons were fed to you from the word of God that Lord's Day morning, be quick to apply them to your life. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till next week. Be quick to take those truths and start applying them to your life so that you will be, will be transformed by the word of God. I was listening to one preacher who, before he got to the pulpit, he was talking to this elderly Irish preacher who, um, who prayed this really solemn prayer saying, Lord, use this man behind the pulpit as he comes and he opens your word of God and feeds the hundreds of people who are about to listen. Show him what to say. Keep him from error. And, and as finally the preacher got up to preach, he noticed that little old guy was sleeping within the first five minutes. First five minutes. And so afterwards, he actually had the gumption to say, you know, I, I, appreciated your, I appreciated your prayer, but I can't help that all this week that I've been preaching at this conference, you fall asleep within minutes of my preaching. <laughs> and the Irish man said, well, I only listen enough to make sure that you're on target, and then I go to sleep. <laughs> <coughs> my friends... If you want to be fed the word of God, expect God to speak to you. Listen to his word and then apply it to your life. And I assure you, I promise you, that God's word will be potent in your soul and your life will be transformed. Beginning with the salvation of your soul and then a transformation of your life. Pray with me. Our Lord and Savior, how good it is that we can come and hear from you and be fed from your word. Help us, Lord, to take these truths and apply it to our lives that we may see the wonders of your truth lived out in us. We thank you, Lord, for being so generous to us and giving us how we ought to live, who we ought to be, but most of all, Lord, in giving to us Christ. In your name we pray, O oh Jesus. Amen.